championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. You're home for everything Lakers. And yeah, I know you probably weren't expecting a live show right now. But honestly, I wasn't really planning on doing one. I see some people in the chat complaining that it's late. Come on, it's 10 o'clock Pacific time. We're still up. We know we were all watching that Warriors-Clippers game and that great finish with the Warriors getting the win. Never a sad day when the Clippers lose. But no, I was going to do a podcast tonight to go over uh, the Lakers matchup with the Suns, talk a little bit about the Kendrick Nunn injury and all that kind of stuff. And thought, why not go live and incorporate all of you, my favorite Lakers fans, bring you guys in so we can talk about some things as well as I kind of go through Lakers versus Suns and all the other stuff going on in the world of the Los Angeles Lakers. So bonus live show here for everybody. So if you're joining me from YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, as always, welcome in. I guess it's not Periscope anymore. It's just Twitter now, but welcome in. We're going to talk some Lakers basketball here. I've got a few topics that I want to get to first, and then I'll get into some of the questions and comments from the chat. If it's late and you want to go to sleep, go to sleep. I'm going to stay up for a bit and talk some Lakers basketball. So if you're in the same mindset that I am, cool. Join me and let's get into some of this. I need to start with the injury to Kendrick Nunn. Um, it's unbelievable, really. It's unbelievable given the season that the Lakers went through last year with the injuries that they dealt with. I mean, all season long, it felt like last season, we were saying, well, in a few weeks, they'll be healthy. And then another injury. Okay, a few more weeks and they're healthy. We'll really find out what this team is all about. And at one point, we finally just said, okay, if they're healthy for the playoffs, then maybe this team can click. And then sure enough, they weren't healthy come playoff time. This season, all we've heard is, oh, they're too old. They're too old. It's not going to work. They're going to suffer all these injuries because they're old. And guess what? They're suffering injuries, but it's mostly the young guys. Kendrick Nunn, bone bruise in his knee, reevaluated. And this is a key word here, reevaluated, not return, reevaluated in two to three weeks. That means that's how long it's going to be before they check up on him again to see if that bone bruise is healing and see where things are at. Now, of course, to check up on him two to three weeks from now, everything's good. Cool. He's back. But we were thinking he was going to be back probably for tomorrow night's game against the Phoenix Suns. We thought Kendrick Nunn was going to be back in the mix. He was dealing with an ankle sprain for a little while. He was uh, he was questionable for their game, for their opener against the Warriors. So we thought, okay, well, he didn't play against the Warriors. He'll be back. Friday against the Phoenix Suns have three days in between. He'll heal up a little bit more and he's good. No, now he's dealing with this bone bruise. He joins Trevor Ariza, joins Taylor Horton Tucker in terms of semi-long-term injuries. THT out probably another three weeks from now when he actually gets reevaluated. Trevor Ariza, it's probably going to be six to seven more weeks before he gets reevaluated. He had ankle surgery, THT dealing, of course, with surgery from that ligament in his thumb. And then Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington is now the closest to coming back, and he was dealing with a hamstring strain. So the Lakers have dealt with all these injuries already. Malik Monk had a groin strain, but he's already back. He's back in action. So all of these injuries that have hit, this is there's been a trickle-down or a domino effect, really, we should say in terms of the rotation, in terms of the roster. Losing Kendrick Nunn by himself, that's that's a big deal, right? Just in a vacuum, you lose the one guy that you spent the mini mid-level exception on, which, of course, that the Lakers didn't have a lot of spending power this offseason, so Kendrick Nunn was a really important signing. He's the one guy, the one non-Bird Rights guy, 
that they could spend a little bit more on. And that's who they picked was Kendrick Nunn to come in saying he was going to be the best value. He was going to provide the most on the floor. And now he's out for a while. You're also missing Taylor Horton Tucker, who is the fourth highest paid player on the team. You've got your three stars that are all making that max level money. You've got Russ, you've got LeBron, you've got AD. This team without THT, without Kendrick Nunn is now literally three stars and everyone else is a veteran minimum player. That's tough. And then when we think about who is out for this team right now, you've got the glue guys. You've got the defenders. You've got the guys that they were going to rely upon. Frank Vogel, Rob Palenka, both of them came right out and said, Taylor Horton Tucker's going to be our perimeter stopper. He's going to be the guy that is going to be tasked with guarding the other team's best player. Now he's out. Trevor Reza was the guy that was going to make so many things work on the defensive end of the floor. Now he's out. His versatility was going to be key. You can put him into a lineup with LeBron, with AD. You can go small and still not really be that small because Ariza's got the wingspan to play bigger. He can play more the power forward role. You're small with LeBron, Ariza, and AD, but you're not really giving up that much size. Now the Lakers don't have that piece. Now it's Carmelo Anthony who isn't the same kind of defender as Trevor Ariza. And so that's put the Lakers in a tough spot, dealing with all these injuries already. This team can't play the way it's supposed to be played. Anthony Davis talked about it uh, after the loss to the Golden State Warriors. He said, look, one of the problems that we've got is that we've had all of these guys, we brought them all in, we started on working on, working on our systems, we figured out exactly who was going to be where, who was going to be in what role, and then, boom, injuries hit. And now you've got guys that are being asked to do different stuff than when we first started. And the season's new, right? Training camp wasn't all that long ago, but they lost, in a way, part of their training sessions because guys are now being asked to do different things than they were asked to on day one and day two, the first few days when they were installing their defense. So that's why you see some of the problems that the Lakers have had so far. A lot of people are saying, why, do the, why does it look so messy? Why does it look so sloppy? It's not just that you've got new faces. It's that the guys who were supposed to be the connectors on both ends of the floor are all out. They're all hurt at this point. The guys that you're going to rely upon to be maybe a little bit better than just a role player. Taylor Horton Tucker, we were expecting a nice leap from him this season. Kendrick Nunn, of course. And then Trevor Reza. I think the Lakers were going to rely on him a lot. We talked about him maybe being a starter, and they're all out. So I've seen a lot of people talking about Frank Vogel and how terrible his rotations are. And don't get me wrong. I saw one of the lineups when it came on the floor against the Golden State Warriors, and I went, oh my goodness. It was Rondo Westbrook. Let's just stop there. Rondo and Westbrook, why are they ever on the floor together? They should not ever be on the floor together. Rondo, Westbrook, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, and Anthony Davis. That was your lineup for the Lakers, and no surprise, they got lit up. But guess what? Frank Vogel's hands are tied in a lot of ways. This team can't be played the way it's meant to be played just yet because they don't have the guys. They don't have the guys defensively that we thought they were going to. So here's what I'd like you guys to do, and I actually did this earlier today. It's a nice little challenge. Take the Lakers roster. This is what I did. I took the Lakers roster, listed all the players, and then I separated them into two buckets. Okay, bucket one, good defenders. Bucket two, bad defenders. And don't cheat. Don't say, oh, this guy's a good defender when he's really not. So don't give me Carmelo Anthony's a good defender, right? Move him into the bad defender pile. Break up the team that way. 
Then make two more buckets and sort the team again. Good shooters, bad shooters. Because that's the really key part to the offense for a guy we're going to talk about in just a minute, Russell Westbrook. Okay, break up the team. Good shooters, bad shooters. Again, don't cheat. Don't say that somebody's a good shooter when you know that they're not. Carmelo Anthony, hey, he fits in the good shooter shooter bucket, right? You could put him in there. No problem. Don't say, oh, Dwight Howard's a good shooter. He can occasionally shoot threes in practice. No, don't do that. Don't put him in there, okay? Separate the team that way. Now that you've got your two, your two groups there, make a rotation. Make a rotation with guys that are available to the Lakers right now and try to plot out a full game without ever having more than two bad shooters on the floor together or two bad defenders on the floor together and see how difficult that is. I tried doing it earlier today. It's not easy. I was able to do it, but at the time I was thinking Kendrick Nunn was back and he was going to be part of that equation in terms of bringing some shooting. I don't even know if he can bring it defensively. He was actually rated out in terms of net rating as one of the worst defenders on the Miami Heat last season. Now, there's a lot that can muddy the waters when we're looking at defensive rating. So I'm not going to say that he's definitely a bad defender. So I couldn't really put him in that pile, but he can at least bring shooting. The Lakers have that issue right now where you've got guys who are decent shooters, but can't play defense. You've got guys who can play defense, but aren't that good at shooting. So if you're Frank Vogel, you have to mitigate that. And the problem that we saw against the Warriors was that if he puts too many bad defenders on the floor, which realistically, you could probably only truly get away with one bad defender, and that is even kind of iffy come playoff time. For now, we're going to stretch it, and we're going to say two bad defenders on the floor. Can you do that and still keep shooting on the floor? Keep that balance. Very difficult when you don't have Taylor Horton Tucker, when you don't have Trevor Ariza, you don't have Kendrick Nunn, you don't have these guys. Wayne Ellington, you know, can bring shooting. It's a very, very difficult proposition. So again, if we're going to criticize Frank Vogel, and I'm not saying he's beyond criticism, but if we're going to criticize Frank Vogel for his rotations, sit down and try to make up, make up a lineup. Try to find something that you think will work because I can almost guarantee that at some point during the game, you're going to run across a lineup that either is going to get lit up defensively or that's going to have zero spacing. And we're not even talking about chemistry. We're not even talking about incorporating players like you want to put Rondo and Anthony Davis together when you can for at least some spurts because they've got a mind meld, right? They've just got that, uh, that inherent ability to know what the other one is going to do. You see this between the top quarterbacks in the NFL and their receivers that just, they have a way of knowing Rondo and AD have that. So ideally you want to try to put them together. Try to incorporate that. Westbrook, if you put him on the floor with too many other non-shooters, the paint is clogged. And then you're not going to get the same level of Russell Westbrook that you would otherwise. LeBron, AD, you can put whoever around them pretty much and they will make it work. But Westbrook, in order for him to have success, he has to be in a very, very specific environment. So now try to add that in. It's not an easy job for Frank Vogel and the Lakers coaching staff when you've got guys like Kendrick Nunn who's out, Ariza, THT, all these players who are out that they expected to be there. So keep that in mind as we watch this Lakers team moving forward. There's going to be some lineups that are clunky. There's going to be some lineups where we say, oh my gosh, the defense, they're going to get annihilated on this possession. Or where's the spacing right now? 
we're going to have to find ways to make do without ideal groupings on the floor, at least for some stretches of the game, because there's not really a way around it when the guys who kind of bridge the gap, and I'm talking about guys who can do both, in theory, THT, if his shooting improves, might be a both guy, can defend and shoot. Trevor Ariza, definitely a both guy, can defend and shoot. With those guys out, and with Kendrick Nunn out, who maybe he'll be able to defend, we'll see, we, we know he can shoot. With those guys all missing, it becomes that much more difficult to put together a lineup that, again, has no more than two bad defenders and no more than two bad shooters at all times. Try it out. Try it for yourself. I do need to talk a little bit about Lakers versus Suns. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's break this thing down. Coming up tomorrow... The Suns are 0-1. The Suns lost to the Denver Nuggets. It was an exciting game. Credit to the Nuggets. Credit to the Nuggets. They, they hung in there. It looked like the Suns were going to push down on the gas pedal and just blow past them. And no, the Nuggets said, uh-uh, we're not doing what we did in the playoffs last year. We're coming back. We're sticking around. We're not letting you get that distance here and make this run. And it worked. And the Nuggets managed to hang in there. They weathered the storm, even when Phoenix looked like they had everything going. And they handed a loss to the Suns. But... For the Lakers, what that means is the Suns are coming off a loss. They're going to be locked in. They don't want to go 0-2. The Lakers don't want to go 0-2. You're not going to catch a Suns team sleeping. That's what I'm saying, particularly against a Phoenix team where they're, well, let's face it, their fan base, they don't like the Lakers. I don't feel any particular way about the Suns. I know most Lakers fans probably agree with me, but uh, Phoenix fans, they hate, hate, hate the Lakers. So you know they're going to be fired up to play the Lakers. Jay Crowder actually shot, I believe, 0 for 5 last game against the Nuggets. Have to imagine there'll probably be a bit of regression to the mean there, and he'll probably shoot a bit better. But for the Lakers, I'm going to be keeping an eye on, in this game against the Suns, I'm going to be keeping an eye on the rotations. Frankly, I'm not expecting a win in this one. The Suns are already pretty close to midseason form. They brought back everybody, essentially, from last season. Their, their chemistry is already there. The Lakers... As I said, they're kind of just putting a Band-Aid on their rotations right now. But I'm going to keep an eye on the rotations and see what Frank Vogel changes from last game. What can he do? Because I think he stumbled upon something that I think is really important. And we saw it, that lineup that I mentioned earlier, the really bad defensive lineup. Westbrook, Rondo, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony. That's an abomination defensively. And then Anthony Davis. That lineup, Frank Vogel, the fourth quarter came up and he said... He said it was he turned to Avery Bradley because Kent Bazemore had four fouls. Okay, I don't know if I buy that. I think Frank Vogel looked down his bench and went, oh my gosh, this defense is driving me insane. Do I have anybody who can play even a little bit of defense? And he saw his old friend Avery Bradley, who hasn't even practiced with the team at that point, and said, hey, A.B., you remember the stuff we did like a year and a half ago when you were with the team? You remember those sets? Think you can still do that? All right, go ahead, get in there. And he plays him, and he played really well. Avery Bradley, if he's at his best, can be a both-column guy in terms of defense and three-point shooting. I think Avery Bradley, especially with Kendrick Nunn out, he's probably going to have to play 20-plus minutes, and maybe that's asking too much from him. I don't know what kind of conditioning he's in at this stage, what he's ready for. But looking at the Lakers lineups at their rotations, I think Avery Bradley is going to be extremely important to the Lakers. Kent Bazemore as well you're probably better off running those guys out there who will shoot a little bit better than league average from three, but are above average defenders than rolling out 
say Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk in the same lineup who are above our average shooters from three who are better than, certainly better than Bazemore and Bradley, but they will get absolutely annihilated on the defensive end of the floor. So I am looking to see more AB out there, more Avery Bradley in this game. I think it's going to be necessary, especially hounding Chris Paul. Look, the Suns are going to run a lot of high pick and roll, and then they're going to look for the, uh, the lob to DeAndre Ayton. They're going to try to run things that will make the Lakers defense. And this is what I want you to watch during the game. Watch how many times the Lakers, the Suns make the Lakers defense make a decision. How many times in a 24-second shot clock the Suns make the Lakers make some kind of decision, usually running out of a pick and roll, until they get a mismatch somewhere and then exploit that. They will oftentimes do that immediately within the first four seconds of the shot clock. They'll run some type of a dribble handoff, some type of a screen, something to get you to switch, and then next thing you know, you've got DeAndre Jordan defending Chris Paul, and then everything go, you know, goes to hell from there because... You don't want to be in that situation if you're the Lakers. So watch how many times the Suns make the Lakers make decisions. That's going to be really key. And then what the Lakers actually do to respond. If you can have guys out there like Avery Bradley, like Kent Bazemore, who aren't going to kill you, can at least provide spacing on the offensive end and are switchy enough or at least solid enough defensively to make the Suns work, even if they do get the switch, that's going to be key, especially with, look, this Lakers offense, we've talked about it. They are going to play fast. The Suns, uh, they're going to play at a medium pace, to medium to slow, because that's Chris Paul pace. The Lakers, they played at the, between the, the Lakers and the Warriors. Those are the two fastest paced teams in the NBA right now. The Lakers are going to try to play fast, but guess what? In order to get out on the fast break, you got to get stops and you got to get turnovers. And so I see Frank Vogel leaning more on Avery Bradley, leaning even more on Kent Bazemore, even if you have to sacrifice a little bit of shooting accuracy, they're at least good enough to where you can't leave them out there. They can keep the defense honest, even if it's not a mad dash scramble the way it is if the ball gets swung to say Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, these guys who are more dead-eye shooters from out there. The Lakers defense is going to be really important. Um, as I've been saying, their three-point defense in particular against the Suns. It's not just those lobs to the rim. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is extremely good hiding out in those corners and hitting threes. I think Jay Crowder will have a better shooting night than he did in opening night. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. I think a big undercurrent to this game, though, or a big theme for this one, is also Anthony Davis against DeAndre Ayton. And frankly, for the Lakers, Anthony Davis, if the Lakers are going to win this game, Anthony Davis has to be significantly better than DeAndre Ayton. Has to be. We saw a hobbled Anthony Davis not be able to pull that off come playoff time. But Anthony Davis is the one cheat code the Lakers have that the Suns, when AD is at his best, there's nothing the Suns can do. They can't stop him. Um, so Anthony Davis has got to be on both ends of the floor significantly better than DeAndre Ayton. If Ayton plays Anthony Davis even, that's a massive win for the Suns, and it's going to be really tough to get a W for him. The Lakers, if that's the way this goes down. Aiden, he's going to get his looks. He's going to get some scoring opportunities. Their offense is good enough to where they're going to make the Lakers make a few mistakes. Hopefully, you can minimize those, can make them come as rare, rarely as possible. But if Anthony Davis can have a solid game against DeAndre Aiden, if he can beat him on both ends of the floor, that's what the Lakers are going to need in order to win this game. And last thing before I get into some of your questions and comments, we need to talk about Russell Westbrook. So, Russell Westbrook is, he's key to this game, 
but I've seen a lot of fans, Lakers fans, non-Lakers fans, who are very, very down on Russ, who are not happy with what they've seen. Frank Vogel stood up for him. Part of that is just Frank Vogel's the coach, and that's what you do when you're the coach and your player has a bad game. But Frank Vogel said that the first game, the game against the Warriors, wasn't really all that bad. LeBron talked about how Russ was really hard on himself. Anthony Davis talked about that as well. Russ is really hard on himself. He's he's upset with the way that game played out. And he was not good. Let's face it, he was not good. But part of that is on Russell Westbrook. He's got to be a little bit more attack-minded. And that's something the Lakers uh, are going to... I'm seeing a few Super Chats coming in. I will get to those in just a second, guys. But that's something that the Lakers are going to... Uh, are going to encourage him to be a bit more aggressive attacking the rim. That's where you're going to get Russell Westbrook. Anthony Davis said it. We need Russell Westbrook to be Russell Westbrook. And that's not worrying about setting up everybody all the time with the pass. I think he's been a little too focused on that. You've got to get him attacking the basket. From the Lakers' perspective, that might mean dragging Aiton away from the basket a bit. Maybe that means uh, some AD at the five. And that leads into my final point. Russell Westbrook, he's in terms of his mentality, his approach to the game, it doesn't feel like he's himself right now. I think he will adjust and become a bit more like what we were thinking we were going to see out of him. It might take a bit of time, but hopefully that adjustment will start in this next game. But the Lakers have to help him with that too. And again, we talked about it to start, Frank Vogel's rotation, it's very limited, right? It's very difficult for Frank Vogel to put together a competent rotation that's decent on the offensive end in terms of spacing and defensively is not going to get lit up. That's priority number one, and that's going to be a difficult challenge in and of itself. But if you want the best out of Russell Westbrook, and let's face it, the Lakers have to get the best out of Russell Westbrook. They traded away a lot of their pieces that have helped support the stars, guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, all those guys out in that trade. So if you're going to make that trade, you've got to get a star-level version of Russell Westbrook. Well, you're not getting that if you're putting non-shooters on the floor with him, right? If you're putting guys who are going to force the defense or allow the defense to just camp out in the paint, just set up shop there and stay in the paint all game, you're not helping Russell Westbrook be Russell Westbrook. So again, part of it is him. Part of it is him, his mentality, his approach to the game. That's got to change. I think it will. Frank Vogel, though, said, it's on me, the reason why Russ didn't play well, it's on me, and it's an easy fix. Okay, if it's an easy fix, let's see it. Let's see Russ get put into the situations that he needs to be put in. Again, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, if AD's the four, AD's the five, I know we've talked about that a ton, right, for the last few months. He's going to be good regardless, right? That's that's reality. He's going to be good regardless, whether he's the four or the five. LeBron, if he's the four, the three, if he's the point guard, you want to call him something else, you want to call him the power forward, it doesn't matter. He's good. Russell Westbrook has to have a certain environment to be good, to be successful. Can the Lakers give him that while still, as I was saying, keep a solid defense on the floor and keep some real floor spacing in order to give Westbrook some driving lanes? I think all of those things are going to be important. All right. Appreciate you guys who are joining me here tonight. Let's get into some of your questions and comments. That's my breakdown of the Suns. We talked a little bit about the Kendrick Nunn injury. Now, let's get into some of your questions. Uh, Intel Wild from YouTube said, Trevor, what is with AD's free throws and him constantly falling down? If you've been watching AD over the last few years, you know 
Anthony Davis falls down a lot. In fact, probably one of the worst Lakers drinking games ever would be take a shot every single time Anthony Davis falls down. Um, it would not be good. It would not end well for anyone playing that game. But let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not encouraging that. Do not do that. Anthony Davis hits the ground a lot, and I hold my breath every single time it happens. I would like it if it didn't happen so much, but it's just kind of been a thing now for the last couple of seasons where AD hits the ground a lot. The free throws, it's it's strange. He is a better free throw shooter. We saw it his first year with the Lakers. He was one of the best free throw shooters on the team, and now here he is having some free throw issues again. Now, it's just one game that we saw where he was bad at the line. Hopefully, this doesn't become a trend over the course of the season, but we know Anthony Davis is a better shooter than this, and I have to think there's going to be some positive regression to the mean coming. It's still very early this season, but after seeing him shoot poorly from the line and from behind the three-point line last season, the longer this goes on, the more of a concern it's going to be for the Lakers and for Anthony Davis. Uh, somebody asked, why don't they start Dwight instead of DeAndre? That's depl deplorable Joe from YouTube. Uh, good question, because you know what? I thought the same thing uh, when we were first kind of going over the concepts of this team, the roster construction, I thought, you know what? DeAndre Jordan might not even get any minutes if the Lakers decide to start big. It's probably just going to be Dwight, right? You probably just start Dwight. But what the Lakers really like is Anthony Davis's activity, and they feel like they can replicate that with Dwight Howard. So if you watch their rotation is Anthony Davis plays the entire first quarter and then Dwight Howard comes in for him and plays the second quarter until AD comes back. And then you have the same thing in the second half. And so the idea is that Dwight's energy and Dwight's activity level will help give you some of that kind of big man energy out on the floor, even when AD goes out. That's the way the Lakers have liked to play it. And i Get it? It makes some sense, particularly when the bench unit is in. They've got to come in with energy. They've got to bring some pace to the game. And so Dwight is a, is a big, big factor in that. So that's why they do that. It's not Frank Vogel saying Dwight is not as good as DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is a starter, but he's a starter kind of a name only, right? I mean, he plays the first six minutes or so of the quarter for six minutes or so of the third, and that's it. He gets the first quarter, the third quarter, and that's it. I would expect that if there's a matchup that really requires a big man to be on the floor against the Warriors, we didn't see this, but I would expect the minutes to favor Dwight where he's going to be playing the 15 to 20 range, whereas DeAndre Jordan's going to sit at 12. He's going to stay there. The Lakers like the energy. That's really what it comes down to. I get it, but if we're going on a meritocracy where we say, okay, whoever's the better player should be the starter, Dwight should be the starter. Uh, another person saying with a super chat, Callie boy saying same Vogel coaching equals failed season. Look, Frank Vogel, we know he's a very good defensive coach. Offensively, we don't know. Okay. A lot of it's David Fisdale where, where he's been doing some things for the Lakers and he's trying to implement an offense. But again, it's hard to say exactly what the offensive schemes are right now when you've got so many guys who are out hurt. And I know that sounds like an excuse, but that's been a real challenge for the Lakers and for their coaching staff to try to get anything really implemented when they've got so many guys who are in and out of the rotation. And so you learn something and then, oh, the guys who learned that thing are now hurt and we have to get other guys to learn to do their roles. It's a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing. So I'm not going to blame everything on Frank Vogel. I will say this. If the Lakers are not looking good midway through the season, 
then Frank Vogel's seat might start getting hot, particularly because they only extended him for one more year. But at the time, right now, and again, I know their own six in preseason, lost their first game of the regular season. It's not fun, right? That's definitely not fun. But right now, I'm not ready to jump on the, this is all Vogel's fault. I don't think you can point to anyone. Like, if you're just saying, this is Russell Westbrook's fault, if you're saying, this is Frank Vogel's fault, that's not correct. It's not accurate. You can't point to one person, one entity, whatever, and say, the reason why they're not winning is because of this person. If this person was just playing better or making better decisions, they'd be winning all these games. No, there's been a lot of things that have come together to create what the Lakers are dealing with right now. Again, this is still a very talented team, though. They're very good. They've got a lot of very, very good players. And we have to hope that it's not going to play out like last season where they're just perpetually injured and you can never see the talent all really come together. Because I think there is something special here, but the most important ability is indeed availability. Uh, here's an interesting one. So uh, Pavi Sandu from YouTube said, how would you feel about Russ, Avery, Bays, Braun, AD starting lineup? I like it. I like, in fact, I've been playing with that a little bit myself, trying to figure out different rotations and things. And I think that actually makes some sense. And here's why. What does that sound like? Avery and Bazemore alongside the Lakers big three players. Isn't that pretty similar to what the Lakers had when they were running Danny Green and Avery Bradley together? Right? So you're surrounding your stars with two guys who all they want to do is play defense and catch and shoot on the perimeter. They don't look Bazemore occasionally drives to the basket and usually it ends in catastrophe, right? His drives are, well, they're a bit adventurous to the hoop, but for the most part, if all they do is stand in the corner and hit catch and shoot threes, they're happy with that. Avery Bradley, the Lakers actually used him a little bit uh, off the elbow in that last game because he had been used to running those sorts of things and actually worked out fairly well there. But for the most part, they're just going to be kind of catch and shoot guys and they're going to defend like crazy. And that type of player has historically worked playing with LeBron James and playing with stars. That's what you want to find. So I'm not opposed to that. I don't think the Lakers are going to go to that against the Phoenix Suns, but that's actually my closing lineup. That's actually when I was going through the different rotations for the Lakers and what they could close the game with. That's my number one closing lineup right now is exactly that. And it's crazy because Avery Bradley just signed with the team and he just got waved by the Warriors. And yet because of injuries, I don't have anybody else to turn to that I trust defensively, except for Avery Bradley. And again, I think that Bradley and Bazemore, they're not, they're not snipers, but they're good enough from three that you at least have to honor their ability to hit the shot. And that's really what matters. That's what matters in terms of spacing, in terms of supporting Russell Westbrook. It's not so much that you get a guy that's like a 45% three-point shooting savant or anything like that, right? It's great if you can get it, but the most important thing is, does the defense care? If you're behind the three-point line, does the defense care? Do they react that you're out there? Bazemore, Bradley, the answer is going to be yes. Russell Westbrook, the answer is no. If Dwight's standing out there, the answer is no. Anthony Davis, based on the way he's shot over the last year, the answer is probably going to be no, but we know he certainly can knock those down, and hopefully that's going to come back to his game this year. Bazemore and Bradley are at least good enough, I think, to get the defense to space out, which is going to open some things up in the paint. The, War the Lakers lost the battle of points in the paint to the Warriors. That has to change. Frank Vogel's big saying, 
paint to great. I want to see the Lakers get into the paint a lot more. That lineup, I think, may help them do it. So I'm not against that at all. Uh, C Nasty from YouTube. Nice name. Said, Austin Reeves is 6'5 and can play defense. He's got to get a few minutes, right? You're a nice guy, Trevor. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Austin Reeves. So uh, he didn't get minutes, I think, because he's a, a rookie. I don't know if he can play defense. In fact, when I was sorting out the team into good defenders, bad defenders, I just put a question mark by Austin Reeves. We've seen some smart plays out of him, but sometimes, for example, Austin Reeves had a play where he got driven almost under the basket and he was able to reach a hand in and strip the ball free and get a steal. Most of us, we shout great defense. Yes. Right. And it was a nice play. Don't get me wrong. But a really good defender would have been sliding their feet, would have been using their body the right way to stop the player from getting to that point to begin with, right? That was like a desperation steal where he reached in and happened to make the right play. Otherwise, if he's not able to, he's uh, that could have been an and one, right? But we look at that and we think, okay, in our minds, that was a big play because it was a turnover. Lakers got to run the other way. And we just check in our heads, okay, Austin Reeves equals good defender. I don't know if we're there yet. I know he's a smart player. I've seen some good things from him, but I'm not ready to say he's a good defender just yet. He very well could be. I'm just saying we haven't seen enough yet. Uh, it's 6-5. Yeah, look, I think he's going to need to get minutes. I think at some point they're going to have to start looking at minutes, particularly if the question isn't so much, is Austin Reeves a good defender? It's, is he a better defender than Kent Bazemore? I'm sorry, is he a better defender than, than Wayne Ellington, than Malik Monk, right? Those are probably your two worst perimeter defenders. Is he better than those guys? defensively and then can he shoot from outside at a comparable level we've already seen the veterans have some trust in him uh can his three-point shooting keep up if it can and the defensive answer is yes then yeah he might have to get those minutes now the question is politically how long is it going to take for that to happen right ellington's a veteran malik monk high draft capital obviously coming to the lakers the lakers aren't the team that drafted him so you don't have that kind of built-in sense of commitment towards the player, but is he really going to get minutes over the veterans? He's going to have to prove himself. I think he's going to get some opportunities, especially with the Kendrick Nunn out now. And if he does, then maybe he does become a solution to this. I'm just not ready to say he's the guy just yet because we've seen him play well in preseason, but it's a step up, right? It's a step up from summer league. To preseason, step up from preseason to the regular season, step up from the regular season to playoffs. Is Austin Reeves ready for that next leap? We'll have to find out. Uh, Nepton from YouTube said, it's hard to play with two extremely ball-dominant players. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that's something that takes a little bit of adjustment, and it's an adjustment really for Russell Westbrook. You know, a lot of guys have said this, that Russell Westbrook has to adjust more than anybody else on the roster does. And that's true, right? He's used to, hey, Russ, here's the ball. Go do your thing. And that's why another thing that I'd like to see is LeBron and Westbrook staggered as much as possible. Again, though, Frank Vogel's rotations, it's not easy. It's a very difficult task for him to put a roster together that's competent on both ends of the floor while catering to Russell Westbrook to get the best out of him. But if you can stagger the minutes of LeBron and Westbrook as much as possible, I think that's going to help things because when LeBron's off the floor, you can say, here you go, Russ, go do your thing, right? 
but two ball dominant players on the floor at the same time, it's difficult. It's not impossible. We've seen it work in the past. It can work. A key is going to be Westbrook and his slashing. And I think in order to really activate the, that, though, you have to have the paint clear. And that might suggest that a traditional big doesn't really work because if you have, say, DeAndre Jordan hanging out in the dunker spot, that leads to a congested paint, which is not good. So we'll see how the Lakers set that up. But I think it's something that they can work. It can work, but it's a challenge. Let me get into a few more. Uh, Robert Gonzalez said, Hey, Trevor, do you see the Lakers waving Wayne before the trade deadline if his comeback is still off from three along with his poor defensive play? Yeah, he did not look good shooting the three. I think, look, historically, he's had a long career of making threes. I'm not worried about his poor shooting in a few preseason games. It's just too small of a sample size, right? He's got a long history of being a very good shooter. He's got a tiny, tiny history in preseason of this year of not being a good shooter. So I'm going to assume that shooter is still there. Uh, the bad defense, that's a problem. For me, there's a competition in my mind. It's between Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington. Which one is the better shooter and which one is the least worst on defense? Which one is not as bad as the other on defense? They're both going to be bad, but which one is the better shooter and which one is not quite as bad on defense? Because I don't think you can play both of them. I don't think either one's a starter. I think that's pretty clear. Neither one of them is a starter. And if neither one of them is a starter, I also don't think you can put them on the floor together at any point because they're both so bad defensively and in similar ways. So I think there's a competition there for minutes, right? One of them can play. I don't think you can play both of them unless it's very specific situations. Late in a game, you really need as much shooting as you can get and you toss somebody in for an offensive possession because you know you're going to foul right after that and you can sub one out for, de for defense. But that's what you're looking at with them. I think it's going to be a competition between those two players. Uh, Marvin Batista said the problem with Avery is he's not a guaranteed contract. That's not a problem. Dwight was on a non-guaranteed contract when the Lakers won the championship, right? He was on, uh, now there's a guaranteed date. It's in January. Same thing for Avery Bradley. And at that point, the Lakers would have to guarantee the deal, but that doesn't mean anything. That just means they can, they can cut him anytime between now and then. But if he's playing well, they're not going to cut him. Same thing with Dwight. Uh, Dwight was playing great. And so they obviously were not going to cut him. They went ahead and guaranteed that contract. So him being on a non-guaranteed deal, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean he's suddenly going to walk away or anything like that. Um, if he's playing well and he's useful, they'll keep him. The Tiger Hip Hop from YouTube. Oh boy, this is a hot take. Avery Bradley should be starting. Westbrook should sit. So that would really be going back to the 2019-2020 lineup if you went Avery Bradley and Kent Bazemore in your backcourt LeBron at the three AD at the four and then Dwight or DeAndre Jordan at the five that would be very that would mean you'd basically be mimicking the Danny Green Avery Bradley lineup that the Lakers had when they won the championship well they had it for the regular season and then it was KCP because Avery Bradley wasn't there in the bubble uh, I don't see them going down that path right not yet Russell Westbrook he is 
it's too important that they get all-star at least maybe not superstar but all-star caliber play out of him they've built this roster around that they've traded away pieces to get him one game into the regular season is not time to pull the plug on that and create the entire media frenzy of benching Russell Westbrook, right? That would just be admitting they were wrong. You're not going to do that after one regular season game. You're probably not doing that even halfway through the season because you're hoping that you can find ways to make it work. It's way too early to start talking about Westbrook coming off the bench. It's one regular season game. We know he's better than this. He's still, you know, there's the fit questions. There's all those things. There's, there's legitimate concerns, but that the legitimate concerns do not mean that you take drastic action now with one game on the record. All right, let's do one more. Let's do one more here. Uh, Anthony Harding was something that I agree with here, definitely. I think it needs to be more movement in the offense. It's too much one-on-one. LeBron tries to heat check, but in reality, he takes bad shots and one time missed Carmelo wide open in the corner. Look, I'm not going to complain too much about LeBron and the shots that he takes. Like he's, he knows what he's doing with the shots that he takes. But in terms of the movement, I agree. There's a lot of off-ball stagnation. And that's another thing to watch against the Suns. Uh, The Suns have a lot of off-ball movement right? Even if they're running a screen roll on one side of the floor, which they do run a lot. Let's say it's a Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton uh, pick and roll situation on the, on the side, off the elbow. They may run that, but then watch what's happening on the opposite side of the floor. They've got other actions going on. So you've got shooters popping free way too often from the Lakers. We're seeing LeBron doing something on one side. Maybe there's a pick and roll action or something like that. And three guys just spotting up, no movement, stagnation. And part of that is new team. Part of that is injuries but that's something that has to change i mean even look tonight we watched this game you know the warriors against the clippers there's so much movement so much ball movement so many guys that are cutting setting screens they got easy buckets because of it even the clippers had pretty good off ball movement so that is i agree that's something that i would definitely like to see incorporated into the lakers offense i think that the uh, that it's there it can be put in there but right now it's just so new they're not quite at that level yet, right? They haven't learned that far into it. They're very early on in the process. Uh, okay, I said that would be the last one. We'll do one more. Hey, hey, Trevor, do you think the Lakers will treat Avery Bradley like Damian Jones last season? So the Lakers last season waived Damian Jones because they had a pretty good feeling that uh, that Drummond was coming, that Andre Drummond. By the way, Andre Drummond grabbed like 17 rebounds. Got to be thinking, why... If he went for a veteran minimum to Philly, why not just bring him back instead of going the DeAndre Jordan route? Why not just bring back Drummond? And look, I know fit-wise, in terms of being a lob threat, Jordan was something the Lakers were looking for to be similar to what they had with JaVale McGee. I get that. But still, I don't think there's any team, any game this season that Jordan's going to grab 17 rebounds and at, what is he, 28 years old right now, Drummond? I think you can get a bit more out of him. So that was an impressive thing for them. But... Damian Jones, the reason why they did that is because Drummond was out there and or they knew he was going to be out there and they felt like they could get him. That's why they waived him to open up that roster spot. Avery Bradley right now, given the injuries they've got, I don't think he's going anywhere. They need what he brings badly because of the guys who are injured. That's why they filled the 15th roster spot because Frank Vogel went, oh my gosh, we have nobody who can play defense. We don't have anybody. So 
that's what what's going on there. It's po- let's say the team gets healthy. Let's say in six weeks, uh, Ariza's back. By then, THT's back. None is back. Everybody's healthy. Maybe, maybe then they make the decision to part ways with Avery Bradley. But he's got an opportunity for the next few weeks to cement his spot. Right? That's what we're going to see over the next few weeks because it's possible that Avery Bradley is good enough to where the Lakers just say, you know what? We'll take the tax hit. We'll pay the luxury tax if he's going to be part of our rotation and we're going to need his defense. And right now, I think the answer is they need his defense. It's a yes. We'll pay that. And then if somebody pops free on the buyout market, we've got a ton of guys who are on veteran minimum deals. Somebody else might get waived at that point. So I wouldn't assume that Avery Bradley's out. In fact, I think Avery Bradley's skill set right now is one of the more important ones on the team, which again is crazy because he's only been a Laker again. Hasn't even been a week that he's been a Laker. And he got put in in crunch time without having even practiced. It's the world we're living in with the Lakers uh, very depleted right now. Uh, Sean Davis from YouTube, will the Lakers keep both Jordan and Howard with a super chat? Thank you. I think they will. I, I think so. Unless something drastic changes, I think they are going to keep both of them. I think they like having two bigs to be able to turn to. Gives you different options come playoff time. So yeah, I think they're going to keep both of them. Uh, Dominant Media 2 from YouTube said Avery at the two. Westbrook, Avery, Bays, LeBron, Davis. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could very easily see that rotation. Again, that's my crunch time rotation. Avery Bradley, Westbrook, Baysmore, LeBron AD. That's my crunch time rotation right now for the Lakers. Avery Bradley's, he has risen up the rankings very quickly due to injuries. Uh, Mr. Classified 007 said, Hi Trevor, do you think Carmelo has got to be more creative rather than tunnel vision? As soon as he got the ball, the only way is to the hoop. I would like to see him be much more selective. I would also like to see a little bit less of Carmelo Anthony. I think he's better in shorter spurts, but the Lakers had to go to him because you didn't have Trevor Ariza, who was going to eat up some of those minutes at the backup four that Carmelo Anthony was getting. The crowd, I'll be honest, I love the Staples Center crowd, but they were killing me a little bit in that game because they were so hyped up for Carmelo and they're cheering him on and wanting him to shoot And that's not what you want every single time. You don't want contested Carmelo Anthony 15-footers. That's not your go-to option. That's your, it's late in the clock. Oh my gosh, there's four seconds left. Everything we did broke down. Okay, Carmelo, go create something. That Or, hey, we got something to work. We collapsed the defense, kicked the ball out to Melo for, for an open three. I'm fine with him taking that shot, right? But the contested 15-footer, that can't be option one. And I felt like when he got the ball, the crowd was so fired up. Carmelo went, oh, well, the crowd likes me, so I'm just going to shoot. That's not really the ideal situation for him. But again, it's just one game, and I think they can dial in that role a little bit more. I would like to see him be a little bit more selective because I think if you use him as a fail-safe, right, as kind of a break glass in case of emergency late in a shot clock type guy in terms of letting him create one-on-one and otherwise you're using him as a floor spacer and using his ability to shoot from three he's much more effective that way and we'll finish with with this somebody said uh mellow is a huge liability on defense and russ's liability in the half court offense yeah look um that's that's an issue right that's an issue in terms of 
the defensive ability of Carmelo Anthony. He's off quite a bit, half a step, sometimes a whole step off defensively, and teams will exploit that. So it's just something you have to remember when you're building out your rotations. Somebody said, King Charles, wait a minute, Melo's been hitting contested shots his whole career. Yes, but he's just not very efficient doing it at this point. That's not your ideal scenario, right? Is a Carmelo Anthony contested shot? Not at this point in his career. He can still do it to a degree, and it's better probably than the alternative. Like if it's a Rondo contested fading three, right? Because he's out on the perimeter and the shot clock's winding down, or Rondo tosses the ball to Melo in kind of a high post situation. And you say, okay, Melo, turn around contested 15 footer, probably taking the Melo contested 15 footer. That's probably your, your preferred option there. It's not your go-to first option anymore. This isn't 10 years ago. 10 years ago, sure, but that's not where we're at now. All right, guys, for an impromptu show, we wound up going a little bit longer than I thought, but again, I want to be able to put together a Phoenix Suns preview for tomorrow's game, which I guess it's almost today's game at this point, but want to do a little bit of preview on that, so we got to talk about that at the beginning of the show and also address the Kendrick Nunn injury. want to talk a little bit about the rotations, and again, I challenge you guys Take the Lakers roster, divide it up, good defenders, bad defenders, good shooters, bad shooters. Try to make a rotation where you have no more than two bad defenders on the floor at any point in the game, and you also have no more than two bad shooters on the floor at any point in the game. It's a very difficult challenge, and I think it should lead to a little bit more understanding of Frank Vogel's rotations and why they are, again, they're not perfect or anything, but why we see some really funky lineups out there because it is a tough challenge to put together something with the guys who are out right now. But anyway, appreciate you joining me tonight and talking a little Lakers basketball. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, make sure you do follow us over on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, wherever it is that you do listen listen to podcasts. Leave us a review. We appreciate that as well, particularly a five-star review. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see ya.